Today, Lord, we are grateful to you for your wonderful grace and kindness, and we pray that you will be with us today as we look at the Word of God in the series that we have been going through. We appreciate you, and we love you, we honor you, we bless you, and pray that, God, you will speak to our very hearts. We give all the glory to Jesus, our Savior. For those who don't know you, we are praying, God, that this day you will bring them into the very fold of the Almighty God. We honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. For those of you who have been following on Sundays the uh, radio ministry, we are on, actually give us a bonus play, a 15-minute segment on KFAX 1100 on 12.45 and 5 p.m. So KFAX 1100, if you tune in at 5 p.m., you will catch the 15-minute broadcast on Sunday. Then we do a two-minute segment on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on a few different stations. I have been going through the series, as you know, in the book of Ephesians, and today we continue in chapter 5. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 out of the ESV. 5 through 6 out of the ESV, Ephesians 5, beginning at verse Three. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the board screen. We'll have where I will be reading from. And this is what it reads. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Most times you hear in in the Gospels, the kingdom of God. But here Paul says, of Christ and of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the the sons of disobedience. May God bless the reading of his word. As a title you may have seen on the board coming into the parking lot is, Putting a Stranglehold on Sexual Sins. Putting a Stranglehold. I was thinking, Lord, what in the world am I going to title this message? The Lord gave me, had two topics. The Lord gave me this as a topic. Of all the books in the Bible, there are the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans that are most important. Romans, in fact, one says John and Psalms, and Ephesians is one of those pivotal books when you consider the book of Ephesians or or the work that the Lord is doing in revealing the mystery of the church. When we 
consider God's work in this world and what he was doing, in the Old Testament there were types and shadows and there were prophets and workers who longed to look and see what the Lord was going to be doing and what it all was pointing to, but he kept those things hidden. And we discovered in Ephesians that the Lord was bringing Jew and Gentile together and that he was making his plan known through the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. You're either in the church or you are outside. Can't be in both. I know people try to be. I tried to be in both when I was a kid growing up. Can't be in both. You have to be in or you are out. If I view sin from my own perspective, I will always make allowances for sin. If I look at it from my own natural perspective, if you view sin from God's perspective, you'll put a stranglehold on it. <laughs> that which we do not want to give up, we develop liberal views around. Those things that we want to hold on to, we make excuses for and we make allowances for. Somehow thinking that because I'm affected, or sometimes not even wanting to acknowledge that I'm affected, uh, we, we tend to uh, make demands on others while giving ourselves breaks. Our past life outside of the will of God should never be allowed to drive the car nor give directions. Don't let your past life of sin get in the driver's seat. Don't let... Your past life of sin give you directions of where you need to go in your future. No matter how many times you stop to gas up and continue on your destination, no matter how many detours you make, a life of sin will always end up in the same place. It will end in the same place that has the same destination that eventually leads to death. Anything that God, let me just say it this way. God himself wrapped himself up in flesh and came down through 42 generations so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. He died for the church. He died for people. And so we have to learn, even though we may struggle in this flesh, how to allow God to do the work on the inside to bring change. You've got to put a stranglehold on some things. When I was a kid, we used to always wrestle and play. And our, our goal was to make somebody tap out. So we grab them and put some type of hold on them that would make them hurt. Oh, okay, I give. Or have them say a certain word. My, my, my word when my mom used to keep Bryant Miles, not Bryant, but Bryant, we used to wrestle. And the thing that he had to say was bad, batter, and baddest before I would let him go. If he had me in a hole, bad, batter, baddest, that's no, that's magic words. <laughs> we, we have to put a stranglehold on sin so that it is not allowed to govern our lives and to direct our steps. Point number one is how do people spell my name? How do people spell my name, primarily Ephesians 5, 3? Sister Michelle, I'm not going to have you stay up there. I'll just read the passages here so you can, so your husband can go ahead and just turn off the, uh, the system. If you played sports, 
growing up or were known for something that you did well, people often attached a nickname to you. A name that described your accomplishments or your special ability. You were given a nickname. That name often followed you, and for some it continues to follow you. My name when I was growing up was given by my coach, Connie Knutson, called me Tijuana. <laughs> Played baseball. Player called me Little Tijuana. Some used to call me Little Joe Morgan because I was short. I could play baseball. I love playing baseball. And to this day, I walk at night, and one of the individuals in Katadi, when we were making our loop, would be outside on occasion. In fact, this week, when we were walking down the street, my friend Ray Thomas was there. And oftentimes, when I'm walking by, he goes, Tijuana! <laughs> Little kids growing up, and his name was Styler because he could never catch a, a fly ball straight. He always had to be styling as he caught the ball, and as he ran, he ran smooth. And so I said, what's up, Styler? <laughs> to this day, we call each other those names. Well, you have a nickname. Some nicknames were good. Some nicknames were not so good. Some nicknames described a, a character flaw or some type of trait about the individual. Some people try to get rid of their nicknames. My parents had nicknames for all of us growing up. Whether right or wrong, people made decisions about you and attached a name to you. How do people spell your name? Paul notes here and says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as people among saints. So the name that we should be known as in the body of Christ should be and hope so that we are the saints of God. <clears throat> Paul tells the Ephesians that sexual immorality, all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among them as they have been given a new name. You see, when the New Testament when you look at the New Testament, and even the Old, there were either the Jewish people or the Gentiles. Everyone that was not Jewish was considered to be a Gentile. But the Lord was doing a work in the world to draw all people, all races to himself. Whether a person worships in China, Korea, the Philippines, here in America, no matter where you might worship or where you may have been born in Dallas and you may have even been born in Jamaica, wherever you may have been born, the Lord is bringing people to himself. And have given them a common name, saints. Those who come to the Lord are saints. Now, you might have been called a lot of things when you were in sin. But when you came to the Lord, God put those things away. In fact, we talked about that last week, is that he says, put those things away. He put them away from us, our past. Even though people may try to bring up your past, you can let people know, the Lord says, I'm a saint. <laughs> the old things that I used to do, I don't do anymore. And if there is a fall, a person should say, I don't stay there anymore. One thing I love about little kids is that they can get up even after falling and hurting themselves. 
They don't stay down. They get up. Little kids learning to walk. They fall down. And there you are encouraging them. You don't see little kids fall one time. I quit. I fell. I'm not getting back up. They get back up with a laugh. And if they start to kind of lower that lip and it starts to quiver, you say, it's okay. And then they'll start to smile. They'll forget quickly what just happened because why? They're being encouraged to go forward. You as a believer in Christ have left the life of sin. Now what Paul does in verses 3 and verses 4, and in fact he repeats in 5 verse 3, he, he uses triads. He, he mentions it right here. He says that there are, what, sexual morality that one should not be involved in, impurity and covetousness. He mentions this because this was a problem evidently that this group had struggled with and he's letting them know that as believers you are no longer living as the Gentiles used to live. You have come out of that way of life and now you are to live a life that is pleasing to the almighty God. Paul says you need to put it to death, put a stranglehold on that lifestyle. That many people once engaged in. Doesn't mean that people won't struggle. But it means that we don't give in and live a life. If we are saying we are believers. That the Lord says is sin. In the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 verse 5. You can just write this down. Uh, Paul says that we need to put to death. The matters of sexual morality. And then in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 19, Paul said that you need to be aware of sexual immorality, among other things that he lists. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 that you need to flee sexual immorality. So he says, one, put to death. Number, that's when he says in, in, in Galatians that you need to be aware. And then in 1 Corinthians he says, I often tell uh, people, and we've given sometimes even discussions, uh, even recently on Wednesday Bible study, when we were talking about in Romans, the, the body and flesh, we got into the matter of, uh, of, of weed and drugs, and oftentimes we say that weed is a gateway drug to other things. Oftentimes people can be very liberal, oh, weed's not bad, but weed oftentimes just opens the door to other problems later on. When we consider the fact of sexual morality in our thinking, oftentimes a seed planted in the mind, oftentimes if it's left there lying and begins to take root, can expose us to other things outside of God's will. Oftentimes a gateway. Those things that we think at times are innocent, oftentimes can be your demise. And you've got to be very careful of what you do. Paul says you need to put those things to death. You need to be aware of, and then you need to flee. That means you need to turn, and you need to run. There are three things that Paul mentions. I told you in these three different books. Put to death, be aware, and flee. You cannot join hand with sin, and especially sexual sin, and expect sin to let you go. Sin will hold on to you. 
it, it grabs your hand and it will not let you go. Paul is, is, very, is, is, is wanting to be very clear because he knows the dangers that happens to an individual. One of the wonderful things about God, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guess what? In 1 John, that was written to believers. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But in 1 John, that was written to the body of Christ. If we confess our sins. In other words, he was saying that if you blow it, you've got a responsibility to confess. Confessing means letting it go, turning from that sin and allowing the, the precious promises of God's word to wash you, the blood that cleansed you, to allow that work to take place in your life. Remember this as we've been dealing with sacrifices. The Lord Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He accomplished in one act all of the things the Old Testament had been doing. All of the animal sacrifices, all the sacrifices, one after the other. But Christ was the fulfillment of all those things from the past. So when you blow it, you can say, according to what Christ has done, my sins have been forgiven in the past, the present, as well as the future. Why? Because of the act of what he's done. We need to stop living a life where we say, well, I blew it one time. No point in asking God to forgive me. I keep, or I keep going over the same sin. The Lord says, confess. Amen. The rabbinic rule for some said that when, when Peter said, Jesus, how many times did I forgive my brother? Now, Peter, seven times? Now, he was being generous. Because the rabbinic rule said three times was quite enough. Like the fourth time, you can go upside the head, get them back, get them, get them, get them. <laughs> Peter said seven times. The Lord says, I don't say seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, however many times it is required. Peter thought he was being generous by saying seven times. Get one. <laughs> You tell some people you got one more chance, one more. Well, what would the Lord do to us, and how would we respond if the Lord says, one more time, don't bring this back anywhere, one more time. Thank God that he is a loving, forgiving God, that he keeps just forgiving us. And even though there are consequences at times that we have to deal with, he forgives us. And so what Paul does is letting the, the, these Gentiles know, these, this group here, that you used to engage in these behaviors. Now you've got to let it go. Point number two, watch your speech. Verse four, watch your speech. Watch your speech. This is what he says. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be Thanksgiving. Uh, because of our inclination to sin, we must watch our mouth. Now, what Paul is mentioning here is sexual sin. Now, there's a Greek word, word called pernia. Pernia deals with 
any type of sexual sin. Initially in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, that word uh, was a group of words that was characterized by the word pornea. Um, and it involved any type of illicit uh, sin. It, well, it was kind of contained, but in the rabbinic rule, it was kind of expanded to, to include anything that included sex outside of marriage, incest, any type of anything that was considered to be um, inappropriate. It covered a wide range. Paul says, in your speech, it should not be given to crude joking. And he has in mind that which is dealing with sexual sins or sexual talk or inappropriate language. And so we have to watch what we say, what we talk about. If you are going to put a stranglehold on sexual sin, you must watch your speech. Paul's admonition is toward that language and speech that's centered on filthiness. There must be a divorce between the old and the new. There has to be a divorce between the old self and the new. The old self and the new. There has to be a divorce. There has to be a separation. I mentioned one time in a sermon that, that I don't know why sin keeps knocking. I told sin I broke up with you. We are not together anymore. Stop knocking. I'm not answering. He starts, well, okay, what do you want? <laughs> Need to break up with sin. Says no. There should be a change in us that people notice that our speech is not what it used to be. Now you know you've changed when a person says that person's changed because they don't talk like they used to talk. I notice that person is different. When you see people outside the church noticing a change, that's saying something. See, if you talk one way at home, it may come out at, in, at other times, any other appropriate time. You may be saying one thing, and I'll keep it kind of gathered here. I was at a funeral recently, conducting a funeral, and it was packed. It was standing room only. And this young man, during the time of giving remarks, was talking, and uh, you, you, you know that he was not a believer. Well, anyway, seemed that way. And as he's talking, a certain word came out of his mouth, and there was a gasp in the audience, and he immediately went, oh, my goodness, oh, I'm sorry, oh. And one of the people that was standing there walked up to him, put his arm around him, come on, like, come on, <laughs> time to leave now. He kept talking, and what he talked about on the outside came out on the inside at a time when he didn't want it to come out, but that's what's in there. If you are putting in that which shouldn't be there, it's going to come out one time, sooner or later. It's going to come out. And sometimes at the most inappropriate times. I told you. I wasn't a cussing, but I said one word one day. My dad was outside. <laughs> told you. I had a rerun in my mind. What did you say? <laughs> you said. Oh, Lord. And I saw Rev looking over those glasses when he was washing those cars. I knew I was in trouble. Because I saw the other person's hand like, oh. We ran into each other. I never forgot, and I still to today remember that. I even know the word I said, too, and I'm not going to tell y'all either. It's going to go right on. You don't need to know. (laughs) 
Don't even start. Don't get the, I rebuke you in Jesus. Get those words out your mind right now. What did he say? <laughs> Paul says you should not be covetous. Covetousness deals with a person who is self-absorbed with themselves, and he says, which is idolatry. In other words, everything centers around them. It doesn't only deal with the belongings of what one, of what a person wants from another materially, but it can also be that what a person wants from an individual themselves. He says that you need to put to death covetousness. Which is idolatry. Stalkers are often covetous because they think they deserve and demand. They think that another person belongs to them. Stalkers can be dangerous. Sin is a stalker. (laughs) You may not have known that. Sin is a stalker. We need to understand when Paul mentions that... There is a reward for those who have lived a life of thanksgiving to the Lord. And Paul says that we are, as believers, that we are to give our speech in being thankful. We are thankful because we have a heart of gratitude because of what God and Christ has done. You see, our speech should be changed from that which is that which is inappropriate, to that which is thankful. He says, give thanks and be thankful in your hearts. You see why? Because as he mentioned in verse 5, that there is no inheritance in the future of heaven. And then he mentioned Christ, meaning that he was talking about present relationships. You rarely see Paul mentions Christ and God in the same sentence. In the Old Testament, often mentions the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But he mentions Christ here. He speaks of God in regards to the future, but he speaks of Christ right now. There is no relationship if one lives this way in Christ now. And you are not going to get anything now, and in the future this is not heaven. But there's wrath that one can expect. Don't live as sons of disobedience. There are people who live in sin today, which is against God. And I thank God that he's made it so easy for us in that he has said, just confess your sins, repent, I'll forgive you. Repentance means simply an about face and going the opposite direction. It just means, it don't, no, no, you're not turning all the way around because you're going the same direction. No, 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 180, just here and going that direction. If I see a dog coming, I don't turn all the way around and keep going. I'm going the other direction. When you see danger, you're looking for an escape route. We need to treat sin as that. Their, their sin. How do I need to escape? Can't get away. Lord, in Jesus' name, give me strength right now. If you know there's areas in your life to where you shouldn't go, don't say, Lord, strengthen me as I drive by. No. No. I had to, I have to confess. I was speaking the other day, and I had one of our members behind me. Uh, I said, you were going very fast. I was trying to get this student to an appointment. And I was waiting outside for about 30 minutes. And lo and behold, when I pulled to the driveway, 
to the stoplight, there is one of our ushers, I ain't going to call her name, who was in her car with the daughters. And here I am trying to get it. Here I'm talking about obey the laws of the land. And I was moving down the road. <laughs> left about 10, left about 152. He's supposed to be there at 2 o'clock. So I was there at 130 waiting for him. Lo and behold, I finally went and knocked the door and said, hey, open door, my, my phone didn't go off. We're supposed to be at this interview. There's my member. I am moving. She told me the other day, you drive faster than Rhonda. <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk about Rhonda no more. <laughs> My left foot Rhonda right over there. <laughs> We are to obey the laws of the land. But, but when we look at this life and we look at what God has called us to do, we are called to put a stranglehold on sin. It must die. Because why? Sin means death for you. As Paul is talking to the Gentiles and encouraging them, he is make, making sure that he separates those who were Gentiles who accepted the Lord from those who were still living as Gentiles in sin. He says, you are no longer, as we read before, Gentiles, the old way of living, but now you have a new name, you are saints. So we need to put a stranglehold on sexual sins. Strangle it. And then when one says, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, the Lord says, all right, now go on, you got cleaned up, go on. Because he said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess. Remember, the Bible is from God. And so therefore, don't give your own private interpretation. No eisegesis here. You exegete. In other words, you've got to ask God, I'm sorry, forgive me, as compared to, oh, well, I've done it, no point in confessing now. Yes, confess. That which we confess, God is able to forgive. So how do we put a stranglehold on sexual sins? One is that, well, we watch how we speak. We watch the content. We flee those things, and then we put to death those things that Paul mentions here that will dishonor the almighty God. Yes, God has put passion in people, but it has to be channeled the right way. Thank God that he can put our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. I don't care how many people try to drag it up and go fishing. I don't care what kind of bait they may use. God has hidden it. They can't find it. Don't let people always condemn you for your past. You are on your way to heaven. And remember this. The blood of Christ is applied to your life when you weren't even looking for him. He came at a time when you were in the midst of your sin. You were, on, you were in the midst of sin. And the Lord came and died for you then. You weren't searching him for him. He came at a time when we were going the opposite direction. And remember this, it's the Lord who searches for us rather than we searching for him. Please don't misunderstand that. He searched us out. And then what do we do? We respond to his wonderful grace and kindness because of what he's done. 
bow your heads with me, please. There are many areas in our life, God, that we have to remember that you died for. Well, sin once, but many areas that we often deal with. There's not one sin that's not covered under the blood, including sexual sin. Paul says that we need to put those things behind. We need to strangle it. And so today we pray that you will help us as the body of Christ, those that know you, that are believers, to know that you have promised us a tremendous eternity with you. People that make excuses, Lord, and won't repent cannot be with you. But, Lord, they, you said in your word in 5-6 that they would experience the wrath. That was not meant for us, but for the sons of disobedience. Yes, it's reserved. We thank you right now that you have covered and willing to talk about anything in the word of God. And so we pray today that as we preach, as we teach, as we hear, as we encourage, as we rebuke, as we, Lord, hold to the word of God, that we will remember that it is the word that keeps us. We must be willing to keep the word in our hearts. May we hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. We love you for who you are, and we thank you for your goodness. Now be with us as we leave this place today. We glory in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.